My second only hope of escape is to build myself a friend through science or magic. And since I'm a reincarnated baby man who went through hell after transforming into a gorilla, I probably know more about magic. Hello and welcome to The Conversation. I'm Heil Russell. And I'm Cameron Regal. How was your Thanksgiving, Cameron? It was a Thanksgiving. Yeah. Speaking of hell, today we're going to be talking about <laughs> demon turf. Uh, low-hanging jokes there. I grab them. Uh, no, yeah, th- this is going to be an episode where we finally I, uh, get into some of what's been going on in Platonic's world. We haven't actually talked about Platonic a- as a dedicated topic for a while. We we did Ukulele and the Cracklestone, a couple episodes on that, but... A lot's been happening with Platonic this year for a studio that hasn't announced a new game in two years. A lot has been going on. So we're going to be touching upon all of that, but mostly focusing on Demon Turf, which is the latest published game from the Platonic Friends label. And we'll, we'll touch upon that if you don't know what that is. If you're not in the loop, you will get in the loop. Really quick, though, I just want to say support DK Vinyl Patreon. Check us out, dkvinyl.com forward slash Patreon. Your patronage helps make the conversation possible. And don't forget, you can follow us on social media. Follow us on Twitter right now, because every week through the end of the year, we are having Big prize giveaways. And when I say big prizes, Cameron, I, I I don't mean a car. I don't even mean a new, like, Xbox Series X. I I mean, like, the Rare Racers pins from Fangamer. Giving stuff like that away. Uh, every Monday, uh, you can check out a new giveaway. We announced the winner on Wednesday. All you have to do is follow us and retweet that particular tweet. But uh, got lots of prizes I've been hoarding. And I'm eager to get them out, so I have room in my desk drawer. So <laughs> that's uh, twitter.com forward slash dkvine or dkvine.com forward slash twitter. Um, so yeah, that's that's what's going on. Uh, I'm going to be mailing out lots of stuff this holiday season. Platonic. Let's let's get into it. So Platonic friends. Uh, we you know we. We've touched upon this just kind of an ancillary discussion here on the conversation, but we haven't really gone in depth with, with what's been happening. So earlier this year, uh, Gavin Price, the uh, founder and uh, head of Platonic, announced that they were starting their own publishing label, Platonic Friends, where they are essentially publishing uh, other indie titles. And, you know, it's it's remarkable that this indie studio is now publishing games clearly you know gavin has like a a master plan part of that is you know we're going to be making our games but also we want to expand our net and uh pull up some other smaller uh indie studios or indie developers and and kind of give them a spotlight with the platonic brand yeah so i mean this this was a a Big announcement earlier this year, of course, and we've already had three Platonic Friends titles released across the various platforms. 
And Gavin's ambitious plans also include expanding Platonic. And we heard a little bit about this a couple of weeks ago. We didn't have any sort of clarification. Um, Gavin, I mentioned it during an interview that his plan was to kind of get three separate teams up and running at Platonic, sort of, I, I guess, triple the size of the studio almost, and have it be similar to the old barn structure at Rare. Um, I mean, they still have barns at Rare, but, you know, it, it's not like it used to be where they would have these smaller teams doing games. So yeah. you'd have the Banjo team, the Conquer team, uh, stuff like that. I recall the a big important difference that Gavin called attention to is... Um, these um, teams kind of won't be kept in the dark about what each other are doing or will be kept in the dark less rather. I don't think there's going to be the same elements of social Darwinism that the Stamper brothers seem to promote where granted, I mean, it, it worked well for rare for a while, <laughs> you know, where, where you had the, the conquer team influencing the dream team who became the banjo team. I was like, oh, oh, Conquer is, is kicking our ass. We need to come up with this plan. Oh, now it's Banjo Kazooie and now we're kicking Conquer's ass. Now Conquer has to go back to the drawing board and, you know, it takes four years for a game to come out then. But I mean, this was exciting when we heard about it because it was like, well, one, I was like, how are you going to do this? Because, you know, Platonic, they're an indie studio and, and granted, they're a bigger indie studio that had some, you know, investors early on. And of course, one of the most lucrative Kickstarter campaigns in, I, I think, like European gaming, I, they broke records with that ukulele Kickstarter back in 2015. They were flush with cash, but, you know, it, it's been several years and they also had to weather a pandemic, which the lockdown hit the UK harder than it did here in the US, so, uh, just because we didn't lock down in a lot of places. How are they going to do this? And we found out uh, last week or so exactly how they were going to do this. And it's a, it's a, bit, it's a bit controversial, we'll, we'll say. Yeah, hi, where'd this elephant come from? I don't understand what I I've tried to tiptoe around it. Basically, uh the the Chinese tech company Tencent, who a lot of our listeners are probably familiar with, and if they weren't, they're probably familiar with now. Uh some somewhat contentious uh tech company who kind of have their fingers in several pies around the world. And uh, they have become minority shareholders in Platonic. And they don't own Platonic. Let's just clarify that. They've they've bought a stake in Platonic, but they don't outright own it. You know, Platonic still has control. It's similar to, I think, how Nintendo used to have a big stake in Rare, but they didn't outright own Rare. The important difference when Rare asked to be bought by Nintendo and Nintendo said, nah, um, that's why, you know, Nintendo and Rare parted ways. But Tencent has uh, basically decided to invest in Platonic and this will give Platonic the capital and resources it needs to rapidly expand, uh, bring in several new team members and even get a new upgraded HQ. So... You know, I, I'm not going to sit here and try to say I was overly ecstatic when I heard this. Uh, you know, I, I think everyone was sort of like, oh, Tencent. Oh, 
But I, I will say that out of all of the potential bad scenarios, this is probably the least bad. And I know how the world works. I know where most of the money is coming from in the industry these days, like as far as investors go. And it's companies like Tencent. So it, it seems like Platonic is optimistic about this. I don't think Gavin would have signed this. I, I don't have any insight, any personal insight into the mechanics behind this deal. All I, I read the gamesindustry.biz article, like everyone else, and that's all I know. But you know, it, it sounds like this, this isn't like Gavin Price's golden parachute. It's not like he's looking to cash out. He wants to build Platonic. This is a bit different than I think when the Stampers went with Microsoft, where the Stampers had like one eye towards retirement in a decade. And they wanted Rare in a, you know, a, a solid position where they could like step away after a while. I think Gavin wants to aggressively grow Platonic. And it sounds like he's pretty optimistic. It sounds like Tencent so far has been pretty hands off. They said in the press release they have full creative control over their IPs. So, I mean, you know, knock on wood. If, if it is the best bad case scenario, at the end of the day, I'm not going to turn up my nose if we get lots more Platonic games. And Gavin says the plan is for one Platonic game per year, one internally developed Platonic game per year. So, you know, I, I admit I'm excited about that possibility. Yeah, I... I feel underqualified to speak about this um, in any way, but I don't think that um, assurances that um, this deal isn't going to affect like their creative output in any way necessarily means that you have to be okay with this happening. Oh, absolutely not. But it's one of those things like I, I can, I can accept it. It's not something that's going to make me, Say like, well, okay, I'm like returning all my platonic games. I'm not buying anything <laughs> you make. Um, but um, it's, I don't, I don't. It's not something you have to like either. It is a, an unfortunate thing that happens all the time. Um, I have definitely bought games from studios that are a lot deeper into ten cents pockets than platonic. Yeah, like I, I'm not gonna sit here and tell our listeners how they should think about this and i you know it's perfectly okay to be conflicted about this i'm conflicted about it uh i want the best for everyone at platonic i love the studio i love everyone there it, it sounds like they're optimistic about it you know i somebody asked me on twitter right when the deal was announced what do i think and you know i i, w I was reserved but i i said it sounds like platonic has full creative control. It sounds like they're optimistic about it. And if it gives us more games, that's a good thing. And a lot of people from Platonic saw it and liked it. So I think that's the general feeling by and large uh, internally there. So time will tell. We never know how these things are going to shake out. Uh, for example, like after the Microsoft buyout of Rare, we had ups and downs and ups and downs and downs and downs and downs before we had ups, <laughs> ups, ups. Uh, it was a long, winding roller coaster there. We we never know what tomorrow will bring, but... I feel like Platonic's um, staff are historically f pretty open about their business dealings and uh, speaking their mind when it comes to it. So I do think if this were a, I'm going to get up out of my chair and walk out, this isn't good sort of scenario, we'd um, see it, but... Yeah, 
yeah, I, you know, and again, you know, it is what it is. It's a reality of the industry in 2021. Is it kind of like a, a sad state of things? Like part of me is just like, oh, I'm, I'm just relieved they didn't say they were making NFTs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think we're all at that point. No, right now. I, I'm not, a, I'm not going to walk over 10 cent. I might walk if you do the N- NFT thing, please. For love of God, don't do the <laughs> NFT thing. I, I don't need to get into arguments about whether or not an NFT is DKU. Um, that's, let's, that's, <laughs> I think that would be the point where I would just die on the inside. I, I don't need an uglier monkey to have to pay attention to than City <laughs> Kong. With that gamesindustry.biz interview with Gavin, gamesindustry.biz also said that they were at work on a follow-up to ukulele. The what, what the fans and what uh, people at Platonic even have referred to as Tukulele as a play on Banjo-Tooie. And it's interesting because it it's mentioned in the gamesindustry.biz article. And, you know, gamesindustry.biz, they're not a clickbait site. They're, they're a very buttoned up resource for people in the industry. Uh, but nowhere in the actual interview with Gavin does he mention that they are hard at work on a a new ukulele sequel. I mean, I, you could maybe infer it from a lot of the stuff he says, but th- none in, in none of the actual quotes does he outright say that. And I I thought it weird because like over the weekend, you know, some gaming sites started running with the story. We didn't because I. Wasn't quite clear if if it was confirmed or not, and then it you know eventually got up to Nintendo Life, and then Platonic retweeted it. Um, I think Monday morning, and then they unretweeted it later that day. So yeah, I haven't really known how to read what's going on with that because I had just always kind of assumed like no insider knowledge here, but. I just always kind of assumed like Platonic working on a follow up to Ukulele was like a a given or like a worst kept secret because there was like casual discussion of like things to do in a sequel to Ukulele as early as the developer commentaries they recorded on YouTube. Yeah. You can usually read the tea leaves with Platonic. Gavin himself, every time he gives an interview, he'll drop a clue. <laughs> <laughs> and and sometimes there's only a clue in retrospect, but I mean, I, you know, if, if they are working on three games uh, right now, if, if that's the plan, I, I, I think one of them would have to be a, a straight up follow up to ukulele. Uh, now, G- Gavin did say in the interview that they're not going to be doing the rare route of the late 90s and have like three separate 3D platformers in development concurrently. Like they, they will do one 3D platformer and then another genre and then another genre. So we're not going to get like the three shades of 3D platformers where it's like, oh, uh, like and one of them is the Donkey Kong 64 of the bunch where it doesn't really have anything new to say 
three teams revising their visions over and over again because they realize that their game looks like they cribbed the other's homework, even though yeah. they didn't. Yeah, the, the social Darwinism that I mentioned that that worked for Rare really well during the Nintendo era, but that didn't really work so well uh, in, in the years after. And then, you know, they they rethought their approach and now things are peachy. But um, I am excited because I think Ukulele is actually a game that's grown on me quite a bit, even in the years since. Like, I go back to it. I've been playing it very, very slowly on Twitch. And uh, I, I'm just like, wow, you know, I really like this game. This this is this is a, a crunchy 3D platformer, as our friend Josh Wallen would say. But Impossible Layer was such a, a stellar, like, five-star perfect title that mm-hmm. I, I'm just so jazzed now to see, like, what they can do now that they don't have the pressures of being a startup and and having to like follow through with all these kickstarter promises like they could just make the 3d platformer they want to make with like no expectation yeah um i i like the first ukulele i do have issues with it but the number of issues that i think couldn't be ironed out by a sequel with the benefit of hindsight is zero yeah like 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 this this is Moving aside our thoughts on Tencent as as an overall entity and and their past deeds and actions, uh, you can look on Wikipedia for that. There's a whole section under controversies, um, <laughs> but I linked to it in our news article on DK. I was like, here, like I I I don't I don't I don't need to uh, paraphrase any of this. I'll just link you to it. But um, <laughs> lo- looking aside beyond all of that. This is an exciting time if we get a new Platonic game per year. I mean, that's the plan. Obviously, things go astray like global pandemics. New variant in South Africa. Are you ready? But, you know, aside from that, like this is this is this is an amazing time to be a fan of Platonic or the DKU when when like we're we're getting this structure that we've always wanted back. Like like oh, if only there could be a way that games could be made like they were in the late nineties and, you know, indie development, that's where it's at. Like that, that's the only outlet really where you can make games um, at that speed. And um, if Platonic can get this going, if the plan comes to fruition, Ooh boy, you know, that, that that's going to be some good times ahead. That being said, Platonic friends also exist. And Platonic's friends slate this year, they've, re- they've published three games. They've got three games that they've announced that are uh, scheduled for next year. So Wave 1 that came out this year, BPM, Bullets Per Minute, which is kind of like this um, rhythm shooting game. Um, I, I've not actually played it yet. I, I fully intend to purchase all of these games, by the way, and try them out. Uh, I'm more intrigued by a little golf journey, a zen, relaxing golf game. Like, that's the whole like pitch behind it, uh, no pun intended. But admittedly, uh, this was also announced right alongside Mario Golf Super Rush. So I, it kind of got drowned out in our community. But now that Diddy Kong, now that we know Diddy Kong isn't seemingly coming to Mario Golf Super Rush because they announced the last free uh, game update and it was what wiggler and uh shy guy yeah wiggler and shy guy yeah it's like come on like camelot i vouched for you i said you love donkey kong of course you would put diddy in the game 
And, and then what I, I don't understand. This, this is a tangent. Real quick tangent, Cameron. I do not understand what's happening with these m- multiplayer Mario games and Diddy Kong. Because it seems like Diddy gets into like Mario Party superstars. Or, no, excuse me, uh, Super Mario Party. He, Diddy gets into Super Mario Party. And then you're like, oh, Diddy's in it. And then Diddy stops showing up in them. Does genuinely feel like there's a coin flip every single time. I said when they uh, announced this earlier, I wish I, I could sit here and say, well, I, I have insider information that this is all from the Donkey Kong team's directives to not put Diddy in any of these games. I don't, I don't know any such thing. Honestly, it's just as inconsistent as it's always been. Yeah, it's hard to even think that's the case because it's not even like it's not a the binary. Oh, this is on, this only applies to Diddy. There are Mario characters that are plagued by this same phenomenon. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 frustrating as a fan of Diddy. Like Diddy is my favorite character, and it's just like oh, if Diddy was in this, I, I it would kick up my enjoyment immeasurably. But then, then he's not, and they they put in Wiggler. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's the it's the problem that things like Smash Brothers doing everyone is here solve for me is if this was a game series that had never had Diddy in it, I probably wouldn't feel all that strongly about him not being present. Mm-hmm. But it's like you you gave and then you took away. So at yeah. that point, I do get a little disappointed. Yeah, I mean, on like, how much would I have enjoyed Mario Party Superstars, which I I, I enjoyed, you know? But uh, if if I could play as Diddy, I mean, that I I know it's shallow because it's just basically a skin. But all the same, like, you know, I I play these games for the Kongs, and anyway, uh, so yeah, n- now I'm more interested in a little golf journey, um, and then of course. There was Demon Turf, and and Demon Turf was the first one they announced, but the last one released. And Demon Turf is also the DKU one. So we didn't know how this was going to work, right, when Platonic Friends was announced. Because I, I, I made a joke on Twitter, and I was like, hey, basically saying, hey, it would be great if you could put your uh, ukulele characters in all of these so they could all be part of the shared universe. Mm-hmm. And yeah, three tapping goldfish in every garage. <laughs> and and um, they followed through with Demon Turf. I, I think they did it in a smart way. Now, having not played BPM or a little golf journey, there may be references or cameos in there that I, I haven't seen, but I haven't seen any chatter elsewhere about them. And they were pretty upfront about Demon Turf, like, hey, ukulele are in Demon Turf. They make a cameo. Yeah, there's a uh, dedicated trailer um, highlighting the cameos, not only ukulele, but other characters from other games or media uh, making the game. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think, and again, this is just a hunch. This is just uh, educated guess. But I think they're they're going to uh, add in platonic characters only when it feels totally appropriate. Uh, not only for platonic, but more importantly for the integrity of the game itself. BPM wouldn't have really made much sense if like Vendy shows up. <laughs> that that would have like yeah. kind of like steamrolled I, the the tone of that game. I have to imagine it's like at least 
at least to a significant degree, up to the discretion of the development studio. Like, yeah. um, these toys are in the box if you want to play with them, but we're not going to compromise your creative vision. Which I, I feel like is the way to go. Now, that, I, you know, if, if I was the dictator in charge, yeah, it would all be part of the Platonic, uh, you know, DKU universe, um, however you want to define it. But uh, I think Demon Turf was the right choice for for the initial wave of three titles. And um, that brings us to wave two, which I want to address really quick. Uh, we don't know if any of these are DKU yet, but we've got Little Gator Game, which... <laughs> I I adore this game already, Cameron. This looks yeah, like every... such a cute, just charming little. I I I don't even know how to describe it. It's a cell shaded um, island adventure, but it, it's very like um, juvenile in the best way. Every bit of footage I've seen just like gives me the warm and fuzzies. It's very. Very adorable. Yeah, as I get older, I get less cynical about this sort of stuff. And I, I, I just go, oh, you know, out loud. And I have no shame about it. And and Little Gator Game, it, it's just, it looks like it, it would be right at home in the DKU, quite honestly. But like a, a less abrasive side of the DKU. And I, I would love if someone like Rextro or somebody showed up in this game because... um Rextro is probably the mo- most wholesome ukulele character, <laughs> and I don't want this world, uh, th- this island's, uh, s- like, uh, soiled by any of the the more um, levacious ukulele characters. It seems like a game maybe maybe Rextro would fit in. Yeah. Just, be- just because he seems the most sincere of any ukulele character. Let's keep Trouser far away from it, but yes. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I- I'm really excited about Little Gator Game. Honestly, but uh, there's also Blossom Tales to the Minotaur Prince, which is actually a sequel to, of course, Blossom Tales, and which is a kind of an RPG in the style of the SNES RPGs of the day, um, or or even like adventure games. Uh, looks 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 interesting. Looks cool. And then there's also Victory Heat Rally. Um, which uh, you, you were actually interested in this title before it was announced that Platonic Friends was publishing it. Yeah, this was a game I've had my eye on for a while, like even before the Kickstarter campaign that they um, went through before Platonic Friends uh, took over the publishing duties. Um, it's like a 2D, 3D mix um, racing game um, mm. in the vein of like um, classic um, super scalar arcade games like a lot of the ones sega put out in the 90s yeah yeah um but it i am a sucker for anything with like cute little cars and uh also a sucker for um sort of retro with an x um (laughs) visual stylings so i'm very excited for it um i gotta say um there's a lot of good visual diversity between with everything platonic friends is publishing yeah it, it, they're not limiting themselves to well we're we're platonic and our brand is 90s rare so we've got to like adhere to anything from that era no they're they're all over the place which i kind of love because well i'll i'll get into that you know uh when I'm, we're kind of wrapping up but why platonic friends is such a boon to a a sheltered know nothing like me 
Um, this is really going to be finally my education in a lot of genres and diversity in gaming and really just uh, an expansive view of indie gaming in general. So yeah, I, I, I'm really, really pushing for a little gator game to have a ukulele character in it because I want it to be DKU so badly, but I will check it out even if it isn't. So, um, that being said, maybe we should move on to the one platonic friends game we know is DKU and that's Demon Turf. So yeah, Demon Turf just came out early November. It just missed Halloween by that much. That, that's quite a shame because it was a, this would be a very good Halloween-y game. Why must we only chase certain vibes because it is October or, you know, like, no, it's, it's, you, you, you can enjoy this whenever you want. There's never been a better time to tell your friends to go to hell. Demon Turf has been in development for three years now. Fabraz? Is that how you pronounce it? You're asking the wrong guy. Fabraz? Fabraz? Uh, I am very sorry. Fabraz? Fabraz? I, I don't know. I'm terrible with pronunciation. Like, I'm terrible with names in general. I have to hear, hear it first. And if I just see it in text, then I, I stumble over myself. But... It's been a development. I'm truly sorry. We're going to have nice things to say about the game. I we, yes, yes. This isn't going to be a <laughs> scathing review. Trust me. Uh, but it's been in development for three years. And then, you know, I, I hadn't heard of it because I don't follow any non-DKU news. You know, occasionally I'll, I'll get things in my peripheral vision, but it's usually like, oh, Nintendo's doing this. Oh, you know, th- this is coming to Xbox. And I know that because I'm watching this direct for rare news or not direct, but, um, whatever xbox showcase for for rare news and i i'm seeing other game news but you know i i don't seek out any and all gaming news because i don't have the time uh you know running dk vine like i have to stay focused on what we cover which is the dku and rare and platonic yeah this game was on my radar before um platonic before the news broke that platonic was publishing it but Mm -hmm. it was just it happened to cross my eyes that like oh this game has a really unique strong like visual identity but i i don't envy the position a lot of a lot of indie studios find themselves in where it is so difficult to in such a crapshoot whether your game your project gets eyes on it yeah and isn't drowned out by the triple a noise which no disrespect to you know plenty of very good triple a projects but just like the you know, you're you're a team with like maybe twelve people or or less, mm-hmm. and that that's a gen that's a generous number. There's teams with way way fewer. Yeah, um, you, it's kind of you. You just have to kind of hope you luck out and get attention behind it. And this was one of the ones that caught my eye, and I was excited to see how it would turn out. Yeah, and as far as I go. Had no idea this existed until Platonic Friends announced they were publishing it. So <laughs> uh, that that was my introduction to it, and you know, I I I was keeping you know an eye on it from that that point on, and, and then of course they announced Ukulele were in it, so I was like, okay, well DK Vine's going to be covering this. This is this is going to be like a full fledged um, DKU game, like like Platonic tier DKU game. And, um, so yeah, it, it, it was, um, something like I knew the plot was like, it, it starred a demon 
by the name of Biebs. Um, of course, you know, a, a play on Beelzebub. But, and she was going to over, try to overthrow the quote unquote demon king. So, so I, I knew like roughly what it was going to be about, but, uh, got the, got the game. I actually got it for both Xbox One and, uh, Nintendo Switch because I, I initially got it for Xbox One. And then I was just, I like, I was like, I, you know, I, I want to play this, uh, on the Switch so I could play it anywhere, um, in, in, the house anywhere i am so i i went ahead and got it for the switch too because i i'm just a completionist by nature anyway so um yeah i i i loaded in and you know it it starts you kind of in media res uh by like throwing you into the training sequence there's no cutscene. there's no establishing story you're just launched into the training sequence which is uh, presented in the form of a nightmare Biebs is having. And, and so th- this is kind of like your, your spiral mountain, if you will, where you're going through the moves and learning them and, and getting the hang of what you will have to do for the game. And th- this was the most disorienting part for me where I, I, w- I was like trying to get, on, on the same like wavelength as the game. I was trying to vibe with it, you know, and I, I think it was just a lot of sensory overload all at once because I'm, I'm like, am I missing some context here? Like what, what is happening? And uh, what, what was really throwing me too was uh, the, the art style of the game is beautiful, but it really commits to the fact that it takes place in hell. <laughs> Because it, it, like the training sequence, which is just like drowned out in purple, right? So I, I was just like, oh my God, it's like so purple and, and what's happening? And oh my God. So I, I was trying to like get comfortable with it and which I did, which I did, but the, the training sequence was like the most tumultuous point for me where I, um, I, I was like, do I like this or not? I don't know. <laughs> But um, visually, I mean, the game is stunning. Um, and like, I, I don't know if I've seen an art style like this in a 3D platformer before. Yeah, the the closest thing I could think of would be, I've mentioned it before, the um, the like high profile fan game uh, Sonic Roboblast 2, which is a Sonic game built over the course of several decades on the doom engine. So it's similarly, yeah, I know, I know it sounds absurd, but it works somehow. Um, but it has a similar, um, 2d character on a 3d plane, um, system. Mm -hmm. And having not played that game in a while and seeing, um, a lot of the, like I, I did, I was really impressed and like really digging the art style of this game when I, saw like the early trailers for it like it gave me a like big um paper mario vibes yeah yeah same in particular but i did have this concern in the back of my mind oh this looks like it wants me to do a lot of like high speed precision platforming and my character is a cardboard cutout in a 3d world am i gonna have problems perceiving depth and like constantly screw up because i can't discern where my character is in this world 
And I'm thankful to report that has not been the case. I I mean, for one, there's a very helpful shadow under Biebs at all times whenever she's in the air. So you never have any doubts about where you're going to land. Yeah. Um, but it all feels a lot more natural than I was worried it wouldn't. Um, and I'm very pleased with the general feel of it. Yeah, watching the, the trailers, I was a bit unsure myself, like how it would feel actually controlling it. But it works. I mean, it's not an issue at all. It's odd. It, it's, you know, because up, up until you get your hands on the controls, you're you're like, mm, I, I don't know. But then once you actually try it, it's just it, it's so intuitive. Like, I don't even know if I would have needed the training suit. I mean, it helps and I probably did need it. But if you are a fan of 3D platformers and oh, you're going to feel right at home. It's, it's, it's very intuitive and um, surprisingly simple considering how much you can actually do with beeps. And the, yeah. the, the art style I think really helps add to the like uh, surreal disorienting nature of the quote unquote demon turf, the, this hell like realm it takes place in because it never feels like it's part of our reality. It's, it's like it's on this other dimensional plane where perspective and physics are slightly askew. And it's, so it's just surprisingly well thought out as kind of just this visual shorthand to, express that and, and it doesn't hinder gameplay at all yeah the entire game so far has felt like very ethereal and i i do appreciate that there was a tutorial level because i do think that the control scheme is like very easy to grasp but once you get a handle on it but there are some unorthodox functions to say like the like you have a lot of mobility and Beebs' jump options, but it takes a while to acclimate yourself to the order in which you need to do things to have her move a certain way. And I liked having a like sandbox to play around with that in before getting into the levels proper. Oh, for sure. Like my any like weirdness uh, that I felt with the training sequence went away once I actually got into the game proper. And then in retrospect, I was like, okay, the training sequence. I'm glad it was there. Uh, so basically what I'm saying is if you load up the game and you're not feeling it during the training sequence, just stick with it until you get past it because then everything kind of falls into place after that. Uh, and it, it is, I, I think, a very helpful, um, albeit sort of sort of long um, sequence. I mean, yeah, you can speed run it, but, you know, you know me, DK, if I'm done slow, taking my time. Um and, and, you know, I, I, I commented on like the extreme purple, uh, in both the training sequence and I guess the hub world. Um, and I, I know you have, um, some thoughts on the game's lighting in general. Yeah. So this was, um, one of my, um, the few difficulties I had with the game. And fortunately, it's one that it seems to realize itself is, um, so this game, as you said, is very committed to, its color scheme and its um, mood. So that means a lot of dark purple, a lot of red, a lot of orange. And uh, at least for me, with um, my display devices and my not entirely perfect eyes, there were a lot of instances where I felt like the screen was a bit um, too 
too dark or too extreme to feel like I could properly tell what was going on without straining my eyes. Mm -hmm. But as I said, the game seems to have realized this and there is a gamma slider in the options that will lighten the game pretty considerably and in a way that I don't think compromises the vision of the game. Like this doesn't feel like, um, the, the result isn't like Donkey Kong Country 2 on GBA. It doesn't completely destroy any artistic integrity of the game. It literally did just make it easier to see. And I appreciate that that, that option is there. Yeah. And I have noticed that there is going to be an upcoming patch to the game that will alleviate so- some of the more um, eye-fatiguing stages to look at. And I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, the game does offer options for, like, for example, if you're colorblind, like our uh, our friend Gibbon is. Um, so, you know, it, it, there, there are, like, go into that option menu if it's a bit too much for you. Uh, I would be, yeah, I play with the gamma setting about halfway up personally. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't touch it at all because I am a virtual boy fan and I would be a hypocrite if I had an issue with this and I didn't have an issue with the virtual boy. Um, I did have to take breaks. Uh, Ohio like, says it's not red enough. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I had to take breaks. I basically what I had to, what, one of the reasons I, jumped over to the switch from the xbox one was i was straining my eyes and i was like i had automatic pause i have to go back to the virtual boy to show me the way to how to do this and then i realized it would be easier to play on a switch because i could constantly like look away from it and and not just like be consumed by my television monitor so if i played in handheld mode on switch uh, it was a lot more bearable and I could play for a longer duration of time without causing that fatigue. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad that it committed to the lighting. I, 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 I adore actually that it's stuck to the extreme lighting because, um, you know, it, it takes place in this like hell dimension and, you know, you, you get different colors as you go into different worlds. Like, it's not just the same monotonous shade of purple that you, you're, you're wondering if it's going to be. But it, it does remind me, like, I've had a dream before. And I don't know if this is a common dream or if this is just a weird Heil dream where I was in hell. But it wasn't like the Judeo-Christian hell with the flames and the, you know, like, like in a cavern, like, like what's so often depicted in, in things like Dante, um, it, it, it was just like a slightly purple world. Like the, the sky was purplish red and, and it, it, it was just kind of disorienting. I remember I was like in this forest in hell and I was like trying to find my way through it. And I came upon this cabin and this friendly demon was inside and offered me shelter. And this, this was a reoccurring dream I had a lot in my early 20s. Uh, I don't know what it signifies. I will let all of you armchair Freudians out there try to piece that together. But uh, th- this really reminds me of that reoccurring dream I have, like this vision of hell. Yeah, I was going to say the, the demons in cabins and especially is very striking when you consider yeah. what's in this game. So like what once I once I got to the hub world, I was like, oh, my God, this is exactly like that weird reoccurring dream I kept having. 
which I think sold me immediately. Like, like if, if in my opinion, if there is a dimension that is similar to uh, our classical depictions of hell, it would probably look like this. And, and so uh, that, that, I'm glad it's part of our shared universe construct because that slots in nicely with my own uh, own apparent uh, brainwaves. So that's cool. As I got a bit further in the game, like I didn't get too terribly far. I got like up through the first phase of the second world. Yeah. But I did appreciate that there are levels that don't look as extreme as others, but they never look normal. Yeah. Yeah, everything, like you said, it's committed to the bit. Yeah, you you always feel like you're not on Earth. Like, like it, it feels disorienting, but but only slightly disorienting. Like, you, you can still, like, feel like it's a tangible place. It, it's not so extreme. But, you know, the, the game's humor, uh, the, the tone of it, and just the overall presentation, like I said, really started clicking for me. Once I got into Forktown, which is the the main hub world of the game, where you access all the other worlds and and where like the centralized action takes place, and uh, that's where I like realized this game kind of reminds me a bit of one of like like a more off kilter manga series or anime. Like it, it kind of has that same sensibilities, like. You're in this hell-like realm, and it stars a demon. And I didn't understand the character of Beebs that much in the training sequence because the training sequence takes place. It's it's her dream. It's her it's her nightmare, and she she has this antagonistic relationship with the Demon King, who who is the ruler of the Demon Turf. And, and like, you don't understand the context of it. You don't understand, like, what this animosity is. And then you get to the hub world and you realize, oh, Beebs is just a bit of a sociopath who, who basically, like, wants to overthrow the king. And, and she, she, she's just this nobody who's like, yeah, I'm going to, like, I, I'm going to commit a coup d'etat in hell. And become queen of the underworld. Yeah, I I don't have like the best read on Biebs totally yet, and I think I, I'm just content to but like treat that as by design. Like I want to learn more about the context of all this as I go on. But I do love this impression I get that she is just kind of a shitty little kid, um, and it's sort of presenting this question of like well what if what if the shitty little kid who said all these things like could actually back them up yeah it became pretty hilarious like once i actually got things going once once the game got moving and i started talking to npcs and i realized that everyone in the game basically thinks she's unhinged and crazy and, and like they they don't take her seriously. She she's just this bratty kid who's like, I'm gonna kill the king, and, and like that's it. That that's it. But it works really well because of how uh, incredulous everyone is towards her. Yeah, and you even have this like contextual thing with your NPC interactions. Like you can tell some of them have been around Biebs for a while and they just know this is like her shtick. They're kind of laughing it off. Mm -hmm. And others 
just sort of treat her as like, oh, where'd this kid come from? I, I don't know you. Yeah. And, and once you like understand that, it, it really like, I, I think Beebs, the best way to describe her is imagine all of the worst impulses of Kazooie and Laylee mashed together without the mitigating influence of Banjo or Yuka. So, so basically she, she is just this unhinged bratty kid who happens to be a demon. Uh, and she's just let loose <laughs> and it works mm-hmm. for the, the setting and the context of the game. I, I love Fork Town as a, as a locale, as a setting. Like that, that's really where I fell in love with this game because, you know, I'm somebody who really likes, you know, talking to NPCs, like exploring basically like the mundane aspects of a game world. This is the kind of thing that I loved about Banjo Tooie, where it's this fantastical world with really mundane things going on in it. Yeah, and this this is where it shares DNA with Platonic proper. Like, I I would say that the humor uh, is a little bit different than you would find from Platonic or or Rare, but um, it, it kind of derives the same sense that there's this fantastical setting full of, you know, miraculous, extravagant, you know, ludicrous characters but they deal with the same mundane trivialities of life that we do. And, and so that that's the grounding element there. And and so that that's what makes it relatable and makes you think like, I, I could see myself living here um, under the right circumstances. Like, like it, it makes sense to me. And, and so that that is where I think it really does um, like get on get on the same kind of wavelength as platonic because i i was getting a lot of that and that's where like the game charmed the pants off of me not literally i kept my pants on but metaphorically they were on the other side of the room at this point so like just just little details that are never really explained or at least if there is an explanation i haven't found it yet because this is just our first impressions neither of us have gotten that far into the game like i i'm only into the first world cameron just started this um, the second but the the fact that the currency in the demon turf is lollipops and and cakes or like sweets um th- this is what demons use to trade like and and use as like a a form of um monetary good is um is sugary treats and i thought that was an interesting um take like it's not like skulls or you know like souls or or anything like you would think it would be it's candy and like i don't i don't know if that's a like commentary on gluttony like one of the the seven deadly sins or if it's just this um this notion that they stumbled upon, like, oh, that that would be funny and kind of like a, a contrast to the hell-like setting if they like lollipops. But it works. I, I feel like there's a very, there's a myriad of different ways I could take it, but I just like that it's something so innocuous. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, And like, like again, like, 
I said the training sequence kind of launches you in media res, like like it, it just throws you into this world, and that that's what I kind of like about Demon Turf is that you're sort of left to kind of figure out and deduce things on your own. Um, it's what made the original Star Wars work so well, like a, a New Hope as we know it now, where you know you're just kind of thrown into this galaxy and you kind of have to piece things together like some things are explained to you and then everything else you just kind of have to pick up along the way and that's that's kind of a similar philosophy in demon turf where like no we're not going to explain to you why they use uh lollipops as money figure it out it just it just it's just what they do like well does it make sense that we use paper and and little 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 metal slivers that doesn't make any sense. So yeah, I, I liked it. And I liked that the, there are so many, so many NPCs, Cameron. Oh my God. Like, you, you know me. Like, my, my biggest thing is character. I love characters. DK Vine is founded on characters. This notion of a shared universe is all about characters. And the more characters, the better. If you can have a character instead of just a rote, bland menu, I will take that any day, any day of the week. And, oh my god, there are so many characters in Demon Turf. So many NPCs you can meet. Um, and so many shops you can visit. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't want to spoil all of the NPCs, because some of them are genuinely surprising. And, and I want people to have the same reactions we had when we first saw them. But, I think we should talk about some of them um, because because there are um, supporting characters, uh, both large and small. Yeah, I think the two that the game is telegraphing to be like the most um, notable in so far as they show up all over the menus and the loading screen and the game's um, promotional art. Mm -hmm. Midgi, I'm not exactly 100% sure how that it's supposed to be pronounced M I D G I Midgi or Midgi, I'm, but I probably Midgi and uh, Lucy with an I, short for Lucifer, obviously. Yeah, that one's a bit more obvious. Yeah, like Biebs. Um, I, I was trying to figure out what the what what the shorthand for Midgi is, like if if there is an old timey name for the devil. I, I I'm I'm just disappointed I haven't stumbled upon uh, Lord Harry yet. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a name I think I'm gonna have to sit with, and then if I figure out figure it out, I'll be oh, of course. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, Midgi's a like a kappa like creature who walks around wearing a half barrel full of water. <laughs> yes. And uh, he's a cute little guy, and he's sort of um, in story like Beeb's biggest like ally slash cheerleader, and also the vector for a lot of the Oreo, uh, a lot of the early games tutorializing. Mm -hmm. Like he'll be the one to pull Beebs aside and say, uh, Hey, uh, go get these batteries from behind these doors to get to the next area. Or, um, very early on, there will be, uh, I guess we didn't touch on this. There's a mechanic in the game where you essentially set your own checkpoints throughout a level, but you have a limited number of uses. So it's yes. up to you to, kind of suss out the pace of the level for yourself and figure out for yourself, um, weigh the options, which parts you would rather not have to redo versus risking running out of checkpoints very late in the I, level. I was terrible 
at pacing myself. Um, oh, I was too. <laughs> Good. Or especially because early on, I thought maybe like you could remove ones you had er- put down earlier, but that's not the case. Yeah. You're kind of, you have to commit to the decisions you've made. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but very early on in the game, there will be spots that have like a big target marking them and they a note from midgi saying like hey beebs this would be a good place to put a checkpoint yeah and and lucy um is is just like a, a straight up demon like like beebs you said in the notes something is going on with with her and i i yeah i i got the same vibe too i don't know if we're just reading into things or yeah i feel like as i said before with beebs like i feel like the game is intentionally keeping me in the dark with some stuff to pay off later Mm. or maybe i'm just not supposed to know i feel like lucy like there's ambiguity with lucy and i think it's like setting something up for later because you're kind of seeing this evolving um relationship with how she treats beebs um through the game Mm. and i have to think there's something deeper going on she's kind of she's kind of treating like um beebs a bit more a bit like a like dismissive schoolyard bully a little bit yeah early on and then i think like some cracks are starting to show with a little bit of progress in that like i like again not spoiling too much the beginning of the the beginning of the game the kind of vibe you get with lucy is she is like talking down to Biebs, like doesn't really seem to think she can do what she's saying. Yeah. And just kind of smugly like, yeah, sure. Whatever you say, Biebs run along. Yeah. Ostensibly she's presented like Midgi as, as Biebs like, only friends, you know, really. But yeah, I, I'm kind of uh, distrustful of her <laughs> at, at this point in the game. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, but the yeah. the world building is vast. The cast is vast uh, because you know Forktown is, is like your centralized hub, and you've got different layers, different levels of Forktown. Like like they, there's the the populous like um, kind of town square, and then you you get like deeper into like the fog strewn like lower levels where like um some shadier activity is happening and then there's the demon turf's uh the excuse me the demon king's castle um above like uh, just beyond where are the uh portals to all the different worlds are yeah for for town does feel like it's an actual town yeah and there's also a, a clear demarcation between like um it's very populous and it's kind of split between like you can very I'd say you can tell which characters are important and which aren't most of the time because there's the the general citizens who are just sort of regular demon folk, like the classical like red guy with pointy horns. Mm-hmm. And uh then there's um more diverse creatures among like the important NPCs and some some of them are also regular you know, red, red people with horns, but yeah. Yeah. So that, that's hard to see it bleed out a little bit. That's what, that's what I really liked. Um, what one that fork town feels like an actual location is not just a, a bunch of shops strewn together, but like there's actually thought with how it's laid out. And there's also like elements of like class and, um, 
like like you you get the sense of like oh these are the more the the poor poorer areas of Fork Town, and then the, these are the 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 more wealthy, and this is where all the commerce happens. And then over here we've got the farm, and and it's it's just so much fun to explore. Like Cameron, I I have to be honest. I spent most of my playtime so far just in Forktown, like like just running around, visiting all the shops, and um, like I I didn't even like really want to move on. Like eventually, you you have to because you're like I don't have enough skill to to do some of these challenges that Forktown provides you. Like I I need to I need to actually like play the game, but I I <laughs> love when you can just get lost in an overworld. And and not in the aggravating sense of how I play Pokemon, where I'm just going around in the grass of Pallet Town, but uh, actually like, like stuff to do and people to talk to. It's it's so much fun. And yeah, you mentioned that there are more than just demon folk. There there's um there's a human character who is posing as a demon. And and it's yeah, not explained I, at this. I love this NPC. It's just sort of a. It's clearly a hum a human in a demon costume. Beeb sees right through her disguise, but is just sort of humoring her. Yeah, it, you know, you know, it reminds me of it reminds me of the characters from Viva Pinata, the human characters of Viva Pinata, where where they're t- <laughs> she is a lot like a Viva Pinata character. Yeah, it's just just this like enclave of weirdos on Pinata Island who like oh you know we're we're just going to. Uh, adapt to this lifestyle and uh like what what is this human doing in the demon turf what what is this human doing in this realm we don't know but but she's she's disguised as a demon to fit in uh it's it's great uh but then you've also got sort of like classical monsters i mean you you mentioned midgi who's kind of like a a kappa from japanese folklore but you've got um You've got a mummy, um, newbie, uh, is the, the character. Well, there's also another mummy, uh, running around the town too. Uh, but, uh, newbie is, um, one of the shopkeepers. And then you've got. I have to imagine that's a play on Anubis. Yes. And then you've got the, the dude who runs the arcade, who may in fact be Vlad the Impaler, aka Dracula. Because his name is Vlad, and he's clearly a vampire. Um, so I, I like that in this hell-like realm, which again, it, it doesn't like correspond necessarily to the uh, Judeo-Christian depiction of hell that so many of us in the West are familiar with. But um, it, it, it kind of is like it, it's a it's a realm where demons reside. Uh, a, not necessarily one where people are damned to it's just um it, it might be the basis of a lot of mythology so uh the fact that you know maybe some some uh historical creatures from folklore may find their way into this realm i think adds a lot of texture to it uh kind of enriches it a little bit and the sheer amount of stuff you're given to do and collect in the game itself, like outside of the gameplay, outside of the worlds, it's staggering. I know I saw like in, in the pre-release press that Platonic friend, friends and um, 
Fabraz was putting out, like they, they were really playing up like how much you had to do. It didn't really sink in until I actually started to do it. Um, like it, it, beyond just the collectibles, the customizable options you, you can, you can customize as customize Beeb's hair color, for example, or you can buy pets that just sit on her head. And, and you've got yeah. just this wide selection that you can buy with your, uh, with your lollipops or, or sweets. It's a really good thi- thing for a collectathon to land on where you can just use the things that you've encountered in the level, not as currency to progress. I mean, there is that with the batteries, mm. but that's a very binary. Um, you finish the level, you get a battery. Yeah. But just having these thing, these extra optional items unlock just really cool little toys to play with for your character is really nice and cool to see. Even if I don't think I'll use um, certain ones, it's nice that the options are there and for people to kind of decide for themselves what most appeals to them. Yeah, because, you know, this is a game where you do have this established uh, protagonist character. Um, it, it's it's not like, the, you know, a game where you're basically creating your own player insert. You know, the, the closest thing we have to that, uh, as far as DK Vine goes, is Sea of Thieves, where, you know, you create your pirate, you customize your pirate, uh, you, you add whatever you want to this character. Uh, but I, it's a nice middle ground, honestly, like, um, to, to be able to, like, say, no, I want to change Beebs in, in this slight way. And you, you also can, like, augment her moveset, you know, uh, give her, give her more skills. There's that level of progression you can do. Um, which, which is like similar to, you know, like, uh, your, your Cheetos or your, your Vendy tonics. Pretty much as soon as I had enough currency to do both of them, like what I, I did indulge in like the dyes and like the, the ability modifiers and the, for the ones I went with in my like loadout so far, um, I bought, um, like dye for Beeb's hair that is basically just like a more saturated version of her what her colors are already just to make her a little bit more vibrant on screen yeah or like I bought like a blue outfit to see like how it how it changes the character and like you'll see like this for one thing it's neat that like the I wasn't sure if the game would do this or not but it does affect the color palette of Beeb's like sprite everywhere in the game mm-hmm like on the loading screens, on the results screens, like if you, you know, you could put Beebs in like a black hair and a like a red outfit, and it'll be that way on the on the in the UI. That's really cool. Like I wouldn't expect the UI to change. Like I, at bare minimum, I would expect the little dialogue representations to change. But that's really cool that it just get completely like overwrites it. Yeah, and um, I also bought some abilities that I don't feel like really like mitigate the game's difficulty, but give Beebs more maneuverability options or help her move quicker. Like, um, I think my loadout right now is I've got an item that helps her run faster and an item that like adds a slight bit of vertical momentum to, um, her spin jump. Mm -hmm. And uh, one other item that I can't quite remember off the top of my head, but it was definitely just trying to up her movement options and speed a little bit. And I feel like that's been just enough for me. And the game does 
so that you can't just have like a god mode beebs you are constrained to a number of equipment slots like i think the the set of options i have equipped on her now is full like i can't add like another currently i can't add another ability to her that gives her an extra checkpoint or puts a shield around her yeah i would have to delete some of the ones i have yeah so they they keep it balanced my biggest struggle is choosing which pet to buy i have not chosen yet i I probably i'm gonna buy them all but which one will i have on her head i don't know um it it's a it's a it's a tough choice and one of them makes a reference. Yes. Um, and, and maybe we won't um, exactly say what it is. I'm not going to say what it is, but it's one I didn't expect. It's a, it's a DKU reference. Let's let's just say that. And, and not one you would expect. So uh, I'll, I'll just say that much. Um, the photo taking, which, which, which is a part of the game, like from the outset, like you can take photo in-game photos um and then there's different things you could do like you can take selfies um uh there there is actually a kind of quest attached to photo taking that kind of becomes like pokemon snap where where you have to like find the pictures to take and it becomes like this scavenger hunt sort of in each area i think it's similar to um the like photo taking quest in wind waker okay and like even a similar setup um I like the con- the conceit of it being that there's a like photo shop that was set up not realizing that oh demons don't want to take photos. Right. Well, considering this is the human character posing as a demon, that makes <laughs> right. that makes sense, but um yeah, you you have to like take the pictures, but the really cool thing is that it's in in a, this gallery that you can then visit in the overworld and it's just this expansive place that feels like a real place and you go around and like your pictures are then like in these frames on the wall and they will be the specific pictures you took yeah it won't be just a generic yeah and like achievement image so i have to admit i i was hooked on this once i like visited this gallery and and i got the gist of this I wasted way too much time in my valuable first impressions playing sessions, like try, trying to trying to get my talking points for this episode. Instead, I just got hung up on this photo taking, and I spent hours just just messing with this. It's it's a lot of fun, and it it really like encourages exploration and doing the kind of stuff I already do anyway. Um, just with the added touch of then getting a picture of it. Uh, so I'm a big fan of that. It's also just nice to have a very different kind of side quest for the type of 3D platformer this is. And the type of 3D platformer this is is actually very different than we're used to seeing in DKU games because it is a... It's set up like a 2D platformer. Yeah. It's, it's a linear beginning... To, not Not linear in terms of level design. Like, it's not a straight line. But linear in terms of progression... You start at point A, you try to get to point B, and you can choose to pick up certain things along the way in pursuit of that point B. Yeah, a few times I was thinking, you know what? Like, if there was a 3D Donkey Kong game that was kind of modeled after this structure, I would be okay with that. Like, that, I would kind of love that. 
yeah, a lot. Of, this, this game just felt so refreshing in so many places. Um, I, I've never played anything quite like it. Like, it, it, like I said, if you're a fan of 3D platforming, you will be able to pick this up and feel, you know, right at home. Um, but it, it doesn't feel like anything I've really played. It's, it's not like, oh, this is very similar to Banjo Kazooie or, or like th- this, this reminds me of a 3D Mario game. Yeah. There are bits and pieces here or there where you'll get that. There are a lot of like places like superficially where I can tell like something was a point of influence. Yeah. Like, um, the level, the level gates that you enter to get the specific areas are very Spyro y. The mm-hmm. art style is very, is very Paper Mario. The dialogue is very Banjo. But, you know, it, when you pull it all together in this new package, it doesn't feel like this hodgepodge mosaic. It, it, it feels like its own identity. And, um, yeah, I, I, I was impressed. Um, we should probably touch upon ukulele's cameo because it's the whole reason why this is quote unquote DKU. Uh, why, why we classify this as a, you know, part of the same shared universe as Donkey Kong Country. I don't know how much I want to speak on it just because I think it is, they, they did the cameos in this game in a really nice way where I feel like they're thoughtfully placed in that they, they, they seemed of the ones I've, encountered so far they seem to come in like one of two flavors or a little bit of both where if they're out in the open in a very obvious spot where you can encounter them it'll be a place that makes sense for them to be contextually mm-hmm. like um i'll use the example um the characters from social monsters are probably the earliest characters you'll encounter um uh Slimantha and Vanity, and the reason that you encounter them in the middle of Forktown is because they're taking selfies in front of the photo studio. If you don't know who those characters are, or raise his hand, it, it never feels obtrusive. Like, you don't think, oh, this is awkward. Like, well, what is this? What is it? What is this ripping me out of this? Like, they do they feel like they're just part of the game, like part of the fabric of it. Right. And the other flavor is the character like the guest character will be in an out of the way place where you feel like you've discovered you've uh, like bumped into something special for having run into them. Yeah. Going off the beaten path. And that's what you can lately are. (laughs) Yeah. I had to, in advance of recording this, I had to get a small hint of like, just like the general area to look in because I didn't know if this is a first impression episode. I didn't want to, you know, search and search and search only to learn, oh, they're in the very last level of the game. Mm. They're not. I was able to find them, but even given the the like general location, I still had to search pretty darn hard for them. Mm. And it was satisfying to finally run into them. Yeah, it, it's a satisfying appearance. And, you know, ju- it, it, it's just a treat to have them there and to establish that this this takes place in the same world as you. Well, I mean, another dimension uh, but in in the uh, multiversal construct of ukulele, um, it it it's uh, like th- this is a hell realm that um, presumably you know if you if you find the way into it, you know any character could visit. So um, and and it, I I think ukulele's appearance it definitely feels like that's 
authentically platonic because there's a lot of fourth wall breaking and it becomes more meta in in the same style of humor of platonic and rare than what demon turf usually trades in so uh it, it does ukulele justice and and it's out of the way enough where it doesn't feel like it just uh like t- pulls you out of demon turf yeah and it's a nice bonus with all of these characters that you get to see how Beeb's personality bounces off of them. Yeah. Specifically. Yeah. When, once I got a feel for Beebs, I was interested how she would actually engage with Laylee, of all people. Um, but yeah, it, it's, uh, I think it's worth it if you're a ukulele fan to just see it play. I don't want to spoil it for you. I mean, yeah. you, you've probably been spoiled a little bit by how it plays out because some of it was in the trailer announcing they were in it. But, you know. The the only other thing I'll say is when you find them, just look around the environment they're they're in. There's some fun stuff there yeah. too. Well, let's, let's give our final thoughts on Demon Turf for now because I feel like this is a game we're going to come back to eventually on the conversation. But that's surprising in and of itself because Demon Turf is a game I would have probably never played if it weren't published by Platonic Friends. And uh, that, that that sounds like it's an indictment against Demon Turf, which it is absolutely not. L- let me explain. It, it's a realization what a gift that the Platonic Friends uh, publishing label, the, the initiative behind it really is for me. And me in particular, uh, because I, I am someone who can't afford the time or resources to play anything really outside of the DKU or rare or platonic, at least not for an extended time. So, you know, platonic friends is going to get me to try out and sample and get outside of my comfort zone just just a wide array of indie titles that I wouldn't have otherwise tried out. And if Demon Turf is any indication of, I'm probably going to end up loving. And as far as Demon Turf itself, it punches so far above its weight. And I said the same thing about Ukulele, but I, th- I think it's doubly true for Demon Turf because Demon Turf had even less resources than ukulele did in development. And you know, it's a super indie 3D platformer. And, and, you know, with that, sure, it has some slight drawbacks and slight imperfections. But when, when you put in perspective that it's not a AAA title, I think that just adds to its charm and its, you know, can-do attitude. You know, as I get older, you know, I, I said I'm getting far less cynical but I am cynical towards things like the AAA games industry, like that side of the industry, like your your annual Call of Duties and what have you. Just the the, the churning uh, big budget titles that I don't know. Um, I, I never had much interest in to begin with, but I I really think that the true heart of the games industry right now is the indie side of it. And it's sort of amazing that we're at this place where Platonic is evolving into a super indie that can give these smaller indies uh, a leg up and a spotlight that they wouldn't otherwise have. 
And, you know, like, like I said, like Demon Turf would have never been on my radar had it not been for Platonic. And now it is. And now I'm playing it. And now I'm loving it. And now I'm thinking, like, what else am I missing out there? Um, which I know, like, everybody who knows me is screaming at me. You're missing quite a bit, Heil. We've been telling you you need to play this <laughs> game. We've been telling you you need to play this game. We've been saying you would love this for years. I know. But... This at least gives me a slight opportunity to expand my horizons, which is great. Yeah, I am really glad to have spent time with this game. It is something you have to go into with a different mindset than pretty much every game in the DKU. Um, like it is like you do have to keep in mind this is a very like small indie indie title. It's got some like. It's got some rough edges, but I don't feel like that's necessarily a bad thing. It's just indicative of the place it's coming from. Yeah. And it kind of gives the whole thing a very, like, charming handmade quality to it. Yeah. Like I said, it doesn't detract from it. Like, it, it's just, like, I'm a, I, I am suitably impressed with what it does. I would even go as far as to say, like, some of the, I think, misplaced expectations with the first ukulele were because in screenshots it looked like a AAA game with like a massive, massive, ridiculous budget. And in practice, it's would fall short here and there in places where you could t reminded this is an indie game working under indie game constraints. Demon Turf wears what it is on its sleeve to its betterment. Yeah, I, that does help keep expectations in check. When you have you know no expectations going into it, uh, you only have up to go. Ironic for a game that takes place in hell. But, you know, for fans of the DKU, you know, we've been saying, well, you know, it's it's unlike anything in the DKU. So keep that in mind. But I, I think you'll appreciate the world building and, and characters and, and humor. If you have followed me for all of these years, you know what I, I like. You know what I, I get into. And, you know, if you're similar in any regard... Um, it, it really is like, like Biebs herself, like she, she took a while for her to grow on me. But once I realized that she's pure chaos, like personified into this character, um, uh, then, then I started like clicking with everything. Um, the humor and, and presentation, they're, they're a bit different, but I, I think that you'll, you'll find it endearing all the same. And the game itself, like, like, like the, I've been talking a lot about, like, the personality behind it, but the game itself plays great. Uh, and that, it, given the sheer amount of moves and, and the art style, I wouldn't have imagined it to be this intuitive. And, and, like, just doing things like wall jumping in this game, like you do in Super Mario 64, you know? Um, that's the game I associate most with wall jumping. But it feels so tight. Like like an indie game, I wouldn't expect to feel this tight and crunchy and satisfying to pull off all the moves. And it's satisfying in the same way that like ukulele is satisfying. Like I've been saying, wow, ukulele plays so much better than the original Banjo-Kazooie when you go back to that. And it's just kind of amazing how great it feels to control the characters it feels great to control beebs too and i don't know how you pull that off considering she's a 2d character in a 3d world yeah i get a lot of like mario 64 acrobatics vibes from this game and it's 
it it's kind of a neat situation we find ourselves in because I think among games in the the DK D, the DKU, if you look at just the um just the basic facts of like this is one of the most divorced titles in terms of like it's a development team that's never made a DKU game before. It's an IP that's not a it's not Donkey Kong or a rare IP or a platonic IP in the same vein as one of their pre-existing IPs, but it's still finding so much of that common ground. Yeah. Because you can tell the influence is there. The shared love of a certain type of game and creative sensibility is evident there. And so I think there's a lot in it to enjoy if you enjoy those types of games. Yeah. You know, it, it kind of like makes me think like what, what happened if, for example, like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the MCU, what if they started like outsourcing other studios to make movies that they would then publish as part of the MCU? That's kind of what Demon Turf feels like. Like it feels like completely different than anything we've gotten before, but also this beautiful companion piece that works all the same. And look, the price is right. It's twenty four ninety nine. Um, across the various platforms um, to, to get it digitally, at least. They are releasing a physical edition, at least on uh, Xbox, uh, which is also twenty four ninety nine. I just looked up. So, hey, the price the price is right for this. I mean, it, it is an indie title, but, you know, I know a lot of people have been complaining, especially when it comes to Nintendo fandom, how damn expensive games are. And how the price is inflexible most of the time. And, you know, $24.99 for a solid little 3D platformer that gives you just hours and hours and hours of stuff to do. Especially if you're a completionist. If you're a completionist, you you will probably be sinking. I, 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 I'm not one to say how much time you will spend with the game. Because you know how much time I spend with games. I overdo it. But, you know, I, I will definitely know I will be putting in over 100 hours into this game uh, when it's all said and done. So $24.99 for that much enjoyment, for that much content, that's, uh, that's a steal. And, you know, it, it excites me what's to come with Platonic Friends because, you know, this is just the beginning. Like, And then if we're going to get to the point where Platonic is releasing one of their own games every year and then we have a whole handful of platonic friends games that also may play into the shared universe construct. I mean, that that's just like such a wide diversity of games and titles that we, uh, we have to look forward to. Oh, Dustin is in the chat. Hold on. Dustin says, I really like the flat look of the characters. They put a lot of thought into making them really work with the setting. Like it's not like paper Mario where they're supposed to be flat. They feel like they're really there in that setting. Yeah. There's no like, like people turn around and they actually like flip like cardboard. They actually animate like Biebs has like full eight direction frames animated. And there's even the, the neat touch where like the bandage on her face, the asymmetry is reflected in all the sprites. It doesn't just flip like an old fighting game character. And I really appreciate that detail. Yeah. And do they ever explain what the bandage is from? No, I think it's just a, like, rough-and-tumble little kid, um, like, character design detail. 
yeah she just she just gets into fights because she she's again i said a sociopath maybe that's that's uh overselling it but she definitely seems unhinged a little bit even for even for a demon because some of these demons seem pretty gentle folk i would recommend demon turf if you like um kind of games that have been the dku so far it's a a very interesting 3D platformer that I don't think you really see a lot of games of its type. Yeah, it's the the best time you'll ever have in hell. This has been a File 2 production. Terrico.